Welcome to the 18th podcast in our Genesis 12 through 36 sermon series. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Paul Stiver is continuing our series with a sermon called The Blessed Son. Good morning, City on a Hill. Hey, all right, there we go. Uh, yeah, so as was mentioned, my name is Paul Stiver. I uh, was actually looking at the order of service here, and I'm titled by uh, City on a Hill Hope Community Church Planter, which is closer to true than ever before, uh, and also just a sign of God's grace. But that's where I come from, Hope Community, and uh, I spend a lot of my time working at our downtown campus in Minneapolis. Um, but my wife and I attend our Lower Town campus, which is in St. Paul. I'm actually an elder there. Um, I actually, so in my time, I think this is my maybe seventh time being here. It's somewhere. It, they all are such a joy that I forget. Um, they actually are. I do love coming here. I really do. Um, but I think in between, I promised that I was going to grow a mullet. I don't have a picture of it, but I did grow the quarantine mullet. A lot of people during quarantine made, maybe worked on house projects or... Um, got in better shape. I grew a mullet. So, I mean, we all have goals. Um, I actually also in quarantine turned 34. This is a picture of uh, the dirt cake that I, Allison makes me every year on my birthday. If you don't know dirt cake, I think it's the best. It's like a ton of good tasting things mixed in and then topped with Oreos and then gummy worms in there. Like it's dirt. Um, I'm 34, but you can still eat like a kid, which is what this is. And so, um, I did, I was thinking though I, on my birthday, I don't know about birthdays, but they help me, they remind me uh, about like what, what I want for my life, what I'm looking forward to even in the year to come. And so I actually wrote a list of prayers and I was looking at that list of prayers that I wrote for my age 34 year and a lot of them were very concerned about legacy. Um, but I can't get to that yet because I have to talk about my birthday gift I know everyone's going to love. Uh, this Packers jersey. I know we have a lot of Packer fans in the room. Oh, there. Okay, we got at least one. Um, but but I do. I was thinking about my legacy for because of turning 34, but also for another reason, and that is that uh, Allison is expecting. I'm going to be a dad. So yeah, we're very thankful for that. Uh, November of 21. Uh, we're kind of hoping for a Halloween baby though, so that we can wear costumes to delivery. Um, I don't know what will be yet. We have to come up with something, but. Uh, but yeah, just obviously then thinking about legacy, and that's kind of one of the things we're going to be looking at today. Today's message is the blessed son, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 27 and the, the two children of Isaac, and which one is the blessed son. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, the words are also going to be on the screen. We're going to be in chapter 27 of Genesis, first book of the Bible there, and, and I'm going to start with just the first four verses, but then we're going to actually have to go backwards before we go forward. So starting in Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I eat my, I may eat my, that my soul may bless you before I die. 
So Isaac is thinking about his legacy and the blessing that now he is going to pass on as he dies, or as he's uncertain about the day of his death. But we do need to get some context for this blessing. And actually, I had to go back two weeks to Genesis chapter 25 to get context for our passage today. Starting in uh, verse 19 of Genesis 25, it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And so we get this, this section from Genesis 25, and, and Genesis 27 is going to be all about Esau and Jacob, so we need to see this. First we see Isaac, he's, his wife is barren, so he prays to the Lord. How long was she barren for? How long was he praying? We don't know. But he inquires, he asks of the Lord, and, and the Lord gives favor and grants his prayer. And then Rebecca is now feeling the struggle in her womb, and she's trying to make sense of it, especially in that time, in that era, it would have been so confusing. So she seeks the Lord and he gives her this key prophecy. This is the Lord now speaking a word of what is to come. And so these two nations, Esau and Jacob, are in her womb. Her two children, the twins. Esau the firstborn, who his nickname is Red and he's hairy. And Jacob who comes out grabbing his heel, his name meaning overreacher. And we see later in Genesis 25, Isaac loves Esau. And Rebekah loves Jacob. There's a division of whom they love even within their family. And then later in Genesis 25, we see Jacob steals the birthright. So in that culture, when you were the firstborn son, you were entitled to two-thirds or a double portion of the inheritance. In this instance, it would have been two-thirds to Jacob's one-third. No matter how many brothers and sisters, you would have always been entitled to double. And Jacob steals Esau's birthright over a meal of stew. Esau comes in and demands stew. He eats it. And as Bruce talked about, he ate it. He got up. He rose. He left. It was a very abrupt scene. Jacob looking forward. Esau living in the moment. But when our passage, when Isaac goes to bless Esau, we have to understand he has the context of those two things. He knows that God has prophesied the older Esau is actually to serve Jacob the younger. And he also knows that Jacob has stolen this birthright or, or gained this birthright through this deal that he's made over this stew. And yet Isaac still tries to go against God and what God has foretold and bless Esau. But before we uh, move further, let's actually talk about what blessing means in the Bible. I got this, I uh, got a little bit cut off. This, oh, it's on, it's on there. Okay, this is from... Uh, Erdman's Bible Dictionary. Just a, uh, I picked this up at a thrift store for like $3. Recommend. Um, if you could find a Bible dictionary, grab it. It's so helpful. But for blessing in the Bible, we see this, the act of or means of invoking or granting worship and praise, goodness, and favor. So uh, sometimes we see blessing as God blessing people. Other times we see people saying, bless the Lord. Um, so we see kind of this two-way action. And also the words, or the gift of qual or quality bestowed. 
of particular, and this is relevant for us, of particular significance in the ancient Near East, the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, was the blessing of a particular son by his father, whereby a man passed on his property and authority to the next generation. So he's passing on, Isaac's desire is to pass on his property and his authority. He wants Esau to carry on his family name. Some other things we see of blessing is it's, it's uh, this is done in this context. Isaac is passing on the blessing because God had promised Abraham all nations will be blessed, blessed through you. That's coming through someone in Abraham's lineage, in his genealogy. Who is that going to be? So there's a hope that that promised offspring of God will come for Isaac. He says, I'm thinking it's going to come through Esau and his line. There's also a prophetic element. When a blessing is pronounced, it is almost as if it is destiny that it will happen, and especially in this context. So when Isaac wants to pronounce a blessing, he wants it to actually be destined, that this is what will come to pass. That's the prophetic element. The blessing in the Bible is also the opposite of cursing. In Israel's history, when they're about to enter the promised land, they stand on the side of two mountains, and one group yells blessings over, the other shouts curses over, and the curses are for disobedience in the promised land, and an ultimate consequence being exile. And then lastly, we have to see God as the source of blessing. So these are the things that Isaac is wanting to do. He's wanting to pass on authority, pass on the heritage, and actually pass on that from Esau and his heritage would come the promised offspring that God had promised to Abraham. Let's continue on then in Genesis 27. It's going to be, this is a long chapter. It's 46 verses. So I'm just going to read and make brief comments as we go. So uh, verse 5 of 27 here, it says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. This is Rebekah talking to Jacob. As I command you, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So that prophecy that the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Jacob, was given to Rebekah first. She hears that word from the Lord first. So when she hears this plan of Isaac to bless Esau, she immediately gets to plotting and scheming and to ensure that Jacob is the one who actually gets the blessing. And so one thing we do see here is she's going to resort to unrighteousness. She's going to resort to sin in order to attempt to bring about God's purposes. Continuing on then, so he's going to, Jacob's going to go and get these two young goats and bring them back to her. But before that, He's got some questions. It says in verse 11, But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to him to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So Jacob doesn't say, when Rebekah hatches this scheme, he doesn't say, Whoa, 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 I'm not going to lie to my dad. He's like, okay, I'm on board. Let me actually help us think through this scheme even more. He's not morally opposed. He's actually concerned at how we might be found out. And Rebecca calms his concerns here. She says in verse 13, His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. 
So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hands of her son Jacob. So she makes him to smell like Esau in his clothing. He's wearing the robes of Esau, and he's now covered in the skin and the hair, the fur of these animals that they killed in order to prepare this food. Continuing on, now Jacob's going to go forward. It says, so he said to, he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his father who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. So we see now Jacob's complicity in this lie. He's actually going to tell three lies. Two times he's going to claim to be his brother when he's not, and the other time he's going to invoke the name of the Lord, having blessed him with providing the game so soon. So he's going to commit the sin of lying and blasphemy here. He's really going all in in order to secure this blessing. So let's see that blessing. In verse 26 it says, Then his father Isaac came, said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Often this blessing would be kneeling and getting in tight. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So in these, in these four blessings, we see a blessing of, of land. Would you get the land that you want and, and prosperity, fruitfulness, fertility and this fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. A blessing of dominion that peoples would, that you would actually rule over peoples, that they would bow down to you. Nations would bow down and dominion over your brothers. And then lastly, protection. That anyone who curses you be cursed. Anyone who blesses you be blessed. So we see this prophetic element of this blessing. That this is now going to come to pass. So how does Esau find out about it? As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So Jacob just gets out of there. Here comes Esau, ready for the blessing. He had also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. 
Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. So now Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright and his blessing. The birthright of what he would have, the blessing of what his future would look like. Isaac here realizes his plan to bless Esau has failed through this deception. And he says it will come to pass as verse 33, yes, and he shall be blessed. This prophetic element, what I have pronounced over Jacob will happen. And Esau realizes now that he's missed out. He is too late. So Esau has a word. He says, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has cheated me these two times? He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? But Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So Esau has regret, but it is final. What has been said will come to pass. And Isaac knows this. So here's what he says to Esau. Then Isaac said to his, his father, then Isaac his father answered and said to him. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you go restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So this is the prophecy of what Esau's life will be like, and it becomes fulfilled. And the people that come from Esau in the Bible are called the Edomites. Those are his heritage. And those are the ones who will eventually break free from the people of Israel. Continuing on to close out our passage, it says in verse 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, even though he had forfeited that blessing and that birthright, Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? That is Isaac and Jacob. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life. Now that she's talking to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And that verse 46 we saw in chapter 26, Esau is marrying Hittite women instead of people from his lineage. So Esau hatches this plan. As soon as my father Isaac dies, I kill my brother Jacob. And Rebekah hears it. So she goes to Isaac and says, oh, I hate my life. If, if Jacob were to marry one of these Hittite women, why would I even want to continue on living? She does that in order that Isaac will send Jacob away. Which is what happens. Isaac sends Jacob away to Laban. 
In this process, there is consequence for Rebecca and for Jacob. In this process now, Rebecca will lose the son whom she loved. She'll never see him again. And Jacob is exiled. And yet, miraculously in his exile, Jacob is going to find his wives, Leah and Rachel, from whom is going to continue on this family lineage from whom the promised offspring will come. So that is Genesis 27, a story of deceit and cheating and lying and seeking to disobey what God had decreed. And out of Genesis 27, we get this question. Here we see a picture of the blessing given to Esau or given to Jacob here from Isaac. And whenever we read the, the book of Genesis, we're asking the question that goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when sin entered the world and God prophesied to Eve and said, There will be a son who will crush the serpent's head. All throughout, ever since then, the people in Genesis are asking, is this the son? Is Cain, the firstborn of Eve, is he the son who's going to crush the serpent's head? Is Noah? Is Isaac going to crush the serpent's head? And now, is it Jacob or Esau? Who is going to be a part of that lineage? Who is the son who will bring the promised offspring that God said Is it Esau or Jacob? And we see in our passage, Esau casts aside this opportunity and Jacob grasps for it. In Genesis 27, there are no heroes, only sinners. Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, Jacob all fall short. Well, there is one hero and that is God. God is going to be faithful to His promises despite the unfaithfulness of the people he has called to himself. He's going to be faithful in his sovereignty because in Genesis 25, he had already said, before Esau and Jacob were even born, the older will serve the younger. He had chosen Jacob, not because of his works, but because of his sovereign choice. And one of the words we use for God's sovereign choice is grace. And that's actually the, one of the key themes we pick up from Genesis 27. And when I say biblical themes, I mean themes we see in this passage that carry forward in other places in the Bible and are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so four key themes we see are God's grace shows up in unexpected places in unexpected ways. Secondly, God's grace can work to fulfill His promises despite evil and unfaithfulness. And third, and I'm going to have fun with that one, God's grace is scandalous. It is scandalous that He would choose and who He chooses. And then lastly, God's grace makes the greatest blessings available. So let's talk about that. God's grace in unexpected places. I put just a little bit of a lineage of the Bible. I made a mistake under Judah and between Ruth. That should be Rahab. Not Hagar, although God shows grace to Hagar in unexpected ways. But it should be Rahab. And I just have this list up here because of the unexpected ways God carries on His promises. First, as I said, was Cain to be the son? No, it's actually Abel who is accepted by God. And then actually it's Seth who's going to carry on the lineage from Adam. Not even those two. Then we have this promised child, Isaac, not His brother Ishmael, who comes in an unexpected way to a couple that is in their 90s 
when they give birth to him. And then obviously in our passage, we see Jacob chosen over his older brother. Not in the natural order as we would expect. Joseph is chosen even though he's the youngest of his brothers. Judah is the fourth brother and he gets the blessing. Rahab is a prostitute and she's used by God in his genealogy, which we'll see in a second. Ruth is a foreigner and she becomes King David's great-grandmother. But the way we see God's grace most of all in unexpected places is that Jesus, the true blessed Son of God, is going to be born in a manger. Completely unexpected. God's grace in unexpected places in unexpected ways. And let's look at that genealogy just from the Gospel of Matthew, the first six verses. Because we see the people in our story right here. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And the lineage will continue, Matthew's genealogy will continue in that from David the king and out of his line comes Jesus Christ the Messiah. So when we look at this, listen, and I love that Genesis 27 is in the Bible because God isn't dressing up the failures of his people. He's just using them to bring about his purposes anyway. When we look at the people in this list, they all have checkered past, just like you and me. And yet from this line comes Jesus because He's showing us, God's showing us, His grace comes in unexpected places and unexpected ways. We would never think that He would use sinners like this to do something great. Secondly, the grace of God means that God is able to bring good out of evil. This is a line from Matthew Henry. I just want to give him credit for that old preacher. But here we see that despite the lying, the deceiving, the stealing, (coughs) God brings about His purposes as He has declared that Jesus is going to be that promised offspring who comes through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That God can bring good out of evil. We see that in the life of Jacob. Here's a painting of, of now Jacob at his old age. And he's blessing Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. That Jacob goes from being a stealer and a thief to having an encounter with God where he becomes a mighty man of faith who goes from stealing blessing to giving blessing. And he learns that he doesn't have to force God's hand through sinful means in order that God's will might be accomplished. He learns that God will accomplish His will and he trusts in that. But perhaps the greatest Time that we see God bring good out of evil is described by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. When he's preaching a gospel to the men of Israel, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
And we know that that initial resurrection is why we know we can be raised to life with Christ. But here we see God bringing good out of evil. Here we see the words, you crucified and killed. You did this evil action. How? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In verse 23, those two things in tension. And yet we see that God brings good out of evil, that the cross is what makes our blessing possible and our new life in Christ possible. It is Christ's cross that makes God's grace available to us. But we need to see the scandal in this. That God in His grace chooses whom He will show mercy to. In our passage, from Genesis 25, He said, I will choose Jacob. The older will serve the younger. In Malachi, it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And that doesn't mean he despised Esau. It means he chose Jacob specially. And in contrast, they're not even close. That he chose Jacob in the womb before Jacob had done anything good or bad. We live in a culture that is constantly evaluating. We're constantly saying, those are good people, those are the bad people, and we always put ourselves on the good people, ironically. And here is God saying, I've chosen them before they've done anything good or bad because it is my grace that gets to choose. So God in His grace chooses whom He will show mercy to. The scandal of His grace is that He justifies the ungodly by faith through the cross of Jesus, the truly blessed Son. So people receiving the undeserved kindness of God is a theme throughout the Bible. And we can stick with our father according to the faith, Abraham. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 4, now talking to Jewish people about their forefather according to the flesh, Abraham. About works versus faith, he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Just to briefly unpack what's being said here, verse 4. How do we get to God? Verse 4, one way would be to try and work our way to God. But if God then gives us anything, it is what we are owed for our works. That when I put in my hours, I get a paycheck in return. And Paul's saying that's not how this gospel works. In verse 5, he says, To the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. We have to see the scandal of this, that God, the truly just one, is justifying ungodly sinners like you and me. And again, we live in a culture, we live in a society where we're constantly on the hunt for people that we disagree with. We despise them. We're constantly looking out for people that are different from us. We're constantly wanting to tear others down. They're not like me. 
So they should get what they deserve. And here is declared of God, He justifies the ungodly. Which is every one of us. And we see too, that word blessing comes back again. And what is this blessing now? People with lawless deeds would be forgiven. The Lord would not count sin against us. But how do we attain this blessing? This is the question. By works, if I just behave in a certain way, God, you will accept me. Or by faith in his work. And Jesus answers this in John chapter 6. When speaking to a crowd, he had just told them he's the bread of life. They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I think we can easily look at our Bibles and say that all the time. How can I be accepted by you, God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. The work of God is to believe. To have faith. To look at Him and say, you have declared you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by Me, so I believe. And from that faith, we are justified. Not by our good deeds, but by His. I put this up here, just a big image that says CBS as a reminder to me to tell the story. Alice and I watched this one crime show. I'm not going to give it away, but we watch a crime show on CBS. And one of the characters uh, had, when he was younger, had spent time in Vietnam. And they're on a case, and he goes, he's, he runs into, at a homeless shelter actually, he runs into his former commanding officer from Vietnam, who's now homeless and struggling And he can't believe it. How are you here? You're an alcoholic. You're in this homeless shelter. I can't believe that you, my commanding officer in Vietnam, a man I knew as a hero, would be here. And they flash back to their story together. And at one point, they're walking through the jungle. And our detective, the character, steps on a landmine. And as a young man in Vietnam, he steps on a landmine. And the commanding officer is there and he commands everybody to fall back. And he says, there's a, there's a little bit of a hump of dirt. If we can jump off of it, this is the last landmine in the chain. If we can jump off of it and get behind that hump of dirt, we might live. So the commanding officer sends the second in command back. And the second in command goes back, but then we see later that he actually stopped. And he went back to where the two men were standing near that landmine. And that second in commanding officer, when they jumped from that landmine to fall behind the hump, to be spared, the second in command dives on the landmine and dies that they might live. So back to modern, present day, he's like, why are you in this homeless shelter? He didn't know that full backstory. Because what happened after that is the commanding officer, the first in command, who dove behind the dirt pile with our character, was a guilt-ridden alcoholic because he claimed the Purple Heart. He claimed the award that the second in commanding officer deserved for his death and his heroic acts of bravery. He claimed the award the other guy's death deserved. 
And that made him guilt-ridden. So that's the one difference for us. When we look at being justified by faith, we are given the award that Christ earned in his death for us. We are given the righteousness of Christ. But not to be guilt-ridden, but that our guilt might be canceled. And that we might live because he died for us. That's the gospel. That's justification by faith. And it happens. God gives it to the ungodly. So we ask in our story, how could Jacob be chosen? Because God is in the business of justifying the ungodly. And he does it through his son. And it is Jesus that makes the blessings possible. It says through the truly blessed son, Jesus, God makes forgiveness, receiving the Holy Spirit, and every spiritual blessing available to us including being adopted as his blessed sons and heirs, that God's grace makes the greatest blessings available to us. We've got to spend a a little bit of time in Galatians chapter 3 to see that. We've talked about forgiveness. As David said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. But let's look at how we receive the Holy Spirit and actually every spiritual blessing. So in Galatians chapter 3, the New Testament, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, the Apostle Paul is actually livid with the church that he has already told the gospel to. And they believed. And now they're kind of going back to, to works to relate to God. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul's saying there's no two ways to God. It is through faith in Jesus. That's actually what makes you a child of Abraham. When we see God's grace in unexpected places, for the Jews, it would have been that the Gentiles would be saved at all. But the promise is, in you shall all the nations be blessed, that God's grace is now available to all who believe and follow in the footsteps of Abraham by putting their faith in Jesus, who is the true offspring of Abraham, the one that brings forth the promises. So then we ask again though, how can God justify the ungodly? How is He able to bless the ungodly? Paul continues, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. And do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So Paul is pointing out that any attempt to try and work off our debt and and earn a relationship with God actually puts us under the curse. We cannot do it. That the law is actually digging us a deeper hole. 
And so we're under that curse. And then verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from that curse. Why? And Paul's going to use the law to show us how. This is from Deuteronomy 21. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the scandal of the cross that the King of glory, the blessed Son of God, would become a curse in order to make the blessing available to us. The Son of God dying for you and me, becoming a curse on a cross so that we might be saved, so that God could justify the ungodly and beyond that, that He could now, verse 14 says, send His Holy Spirit into our lives to regenerate us and give us new life and make us desire the things of God. And to be a guarantee that what He has started, He will finish and that we will see Him face to face. And this Holy Spirit also testifies to us that we are God's sons. We've got to look at that again from Galatians 3, starting in verse 23. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Uh, this translation is the ESV. One of the things the uh, newer translation of the NIV has done is when it sees language like brothers and sisters, what that used to be and what the ESV does is it always just says brothers. But the word is adelphoi in the Greek and it just means men and women, brothers and sisters. And oftentimes that's a good change then because it reminds us, okay, the faith is for men and women when that NIV makes that change. But they also change it here and say, for as many, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God. And I think this is the better translation because we're talking about being God's heirs. Of course, women are in the church, but they are heirs of God in His sight. Why? Why are we all in on this? It is our faith that makes us God's Son, His heirs, with Christ. It is our faith that makes us heirs according to the promise, as verse 29 says. It is a spiritual offspring, and that comes to us through Christ, that we don't just have forgiveness of sins. Yes, that's amazing. And we don't just receive God's Holy Spirit also. What a blessing. But that we also are adopted as His sons, as heirs. That means that what Jesus gets, we get in on. That we are not slaves, but sons. And as sons, we can relate to God in a completely different way than through the law. We relate to Him by grace. Tim Keller says it this way, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We are God's sons, His heirs. Everything that Christ gets, we receive. We get to be in glory with Him. We get to live in the new creation. We get His righteousness. Every blessing, His Holy Spirit, available to the one who believes in Jesus. And the question is, who will believe? 
What do I have to give up if I believe? I heard a comment this week. Someone was ill. And there's something about illness that oftentimes makes us more susceptible, more aware of spiritual things. But in their illness, they declared, me and God are good. How do you know that? There's one way. Who will believe? Who will bend the knee? Who will receive the blessing of God? Is to realize me and God are not good. That I am ungodly, but He is the one who justifies the ungodly. Who will believe those who see themselves as they are and call upon the name of Jesus for forgiveness and the Holy Spirit and adoption into God's family? So when we think about legacy, Esau doesn't leave behind a legacy. Jacob does. Because Jacob was a man of faith. When he encountered God, he put his faith in God. But each of us has that choice. The author of Hebrews does talk about one part of Esau's legacy. He says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob was final. It was to be. In the same way, when Christ is raised, the hourglass flips. Now is the day to call upon the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Now is the favorable hour. What Esau missed out on is he didn't see it was time to act. That God's grace is available to us now in His Son. And as the author of Hebrews says, oh, that no one would fail to obtain it. May we not be like Esau and reject God's blessing when we choose Christ with urgency today and become a blessed child of God, a son of God, by being united with the truly blessed Son of God, the Lord Jesus. That He's paid the penalty for our sin that we might live. That I don't have to try to accomplish His will by sinning. That I don't have to sit and wonder if He's going to bring about what He promised. I can see it here because He's done it. So as we close, I just I have two things and they're not even... I don't even want you to... You can think about applying this, but I want us to just praise. I want us to behold. First, that we would just behold the grace of God. And we would just sit at some point this week and ponder His goodness to us. The, the way that I, it, it happened for me recently was my birthday. Sometimes you get uh, those Facebook memories. I don't know if you have Facebook, it like shows you. Like five years ago you posted this. Seven years ago you posted this. And some of mine are really embarrassing. Uh, but it's good. I like it because it helps me remember where I came from. That I didn't do this. That where I was was ungodly, and He had grace on me. That's one of the best ways that we can behold the grace of God is remember where we came from and what He's done in our lives. 
But the ultimate purpose, Ephesians tells us this, when Paul starts out, the biggest thing he wants us to do is praise God's grace. When we see that chasm between who I am and who Christ is, and we see that God bridged that gap through the cross, all we can do is say, wow, I can't believe that He would justify an ungodly sinner like me. So as we sing these last two songs, we praise God for His grace because it is that praise that truly transforms and changes us to be more like Jesus. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, we join the Apostle Paul in his prayer from Ephesians that praise would be to You for Your glorious grace. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That You, though You are just and You are the One who is truly offended by our sin, made a way through the blood of Christ to punish sin and justify ungodly people like us. And that now in Christ, not only are we considered righteous, we get His reward but we also receive the Holy Spirit and we have been promised and told that we are your children and we are inheriting what you have promised to come. So God, we just praise you for that grace. We pray that even now through these songs, you would bring things to mind. Help us remember where we came from and help us to worship you as we leave this place so that you would receive more glory and honor. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our Genesis Sermon series. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including First Peter, Crossroads, Ruth, FaithWorks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.